I see holiday cups of Joe. This is my favorite cup because it's so big. This is a year-round cup. You know, Starbucks, they make great mugs. Well, they don't. They hire people to make great mugs for them. Yeah. It's a great place to start because what I want to talk about today is Thanksgiving because I'm betting based on where we are in this roster that this is the thing that's going to air just before the Thursday for Thanksgiving. Ah, I, like, I love it. So I'm trying my best to warp time in our favor. I like it. And that's nice my producing. Hey, speaking of producing, the effects only happened that one episode. Yeah. Um, there, I'm out of batteries. Ah! I'll have, we'll have to call HR and get some more batteries for you. Yeah, that's a great idea. I might go get some today. All right. Yeah, it depends on whether that new client pays his bill or not. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Well, don't congratulate me, yes, yet. Hey, it's a new client. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. We'll see. He said he was a new client. <laughs> And again, <laughs> I'm anticipating that um, he's ready to receive what I have to offer him. Awesome. And if he's not, that's cool too. Like more power to him. Amen. All right. Thanks yeah, so for I'm, yeah, I'm grateful for my life right now. Wow. The holiday when the colonies of Whitey gave food to the Native Americans and thanks for their kindred neighborly ways and taught them the good ways of Jesus Christ superstar. I love that holiday. <laughs> I was just reading about it. Um, and of course I set myself up with a link to follow and to read about it. And now I'm like searching, searching, searching. Well, isn't it funny that we're recording this on um, indigenous people day? Well, that was the other reason I thought it'd be super cool to Columbus Day, right? It's it. What'd you say? Columbus Day. Oh. <laughs> hey, do you know how long Columbus Day, formerly Columbus Day? However, do you know like when it came into existence? Uh, no. Are you going to tell me? 1972, President Richard Nixon declared the second Monday of October to be Columbus Day. Wow, that's trippy. I know. It's not that long. Like, it wasn't really celebrated that no. long. And it's not celebrated anymore. <laughs> Hallelujah! Well, it depends on who you ask. Like, there's still a lot of people who wish to celebrate that. You know, there's a lot of people who are fuck nuts. We don't need to give them any serious consideration. Yeah, I'm a I'm from Italian. Half my heritage is Italian, so it's uh, it's a an interesting juxtaposition for me because I'm super clear on you know what colonization meant and 
I mean, I was well, just, not just colonization on the whole. He personally, from his diaries that I've read, was a fucker. Well, yeah, he was like awful. He wrote it. He wrote down, "I am a fucker." <laughs> right. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and that's why when you say his name, like I made a post today on social media where I said that Italian. Like that's, that's how that's how heavily I'm trying to like decolonize my own mind and, and my own discussions of things. Yeah. Yeah. And I you know, one of the things I did on that social media post was talk about how many diseases came across from Europe and what that did to the indigenous populations, like specifically in uh, Colombia and, and the central part of the Caribbean where Columbus landed, which has was nowhere near what we call the United States today. That's the oh, other yeah, part of it. Yeah. It's like, he discovered America. No, he discovered some <laughs> island well, in the Caribbean. He did end up, I, as I understand it, he actually did make it to North American continent at some, like the third trip or something. Yeah. So one of the things I talked about in my social media post today was that what the research was around why the diseases killed so many indigenous people and people talk about communicable diseases like viruses. And that was my point today was because a lot of people are making the point about COVID that it's, you know, that the whole idea of, uh, germ theory has some holes in it from science and that it's probably 5G or electricity or pollution or whatever. And particularly one person in, in my family history who, um, you know, really riles me up with his fierce myopic dedication to the idea that there can't be viruses. Um, anyway, so what, what I found when I was researching it, which I didn't know, was the vermin that came over, the rats that came over on the ship, actually messed up the water with weird amoebas and stuff like that. And so it wasn't just measles and chicken pox and smallpox and all of that horrible polio and all of those things that came over, but it was also the, the rats came over and they had all kinds of awful stuff that polluted the water and created flea-borne disease and all these other things. Hmm. So they polluted waterways, like streams. Yeah, Yeah, because, yeah. Um, And um, because, you know, tea was a big part of European culture, the reason for that is when you want to drink water, you probably should boil it first, right? Like, so let's boil it. Since we're going to drink boiling water, let's do something with it, right? So Throw some dirt in there. <laughs> some, well, and medicinals, right? Like, let's, if we're going to drink, let's add some value to it, like some right. nutrients to it, too, which is great. I mean, <laughs> and the, the uh, double, double irony of the irony, irony is that, um, the goddess religions, which were succumbed to the Roman impulse, um, a lot of healing teas and natural remedies came from all the witches they burned. And so but their ashes uh, were like medicinal. No, 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 no. From the knowledge that they curated over time, not from their ashes. Although that might make an interesting cake decoration. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
Maybe the batteries are working. <laughs> no. <laughs> tech. We need tech. Where's the producer? Fire him. <laughs> Wait. Oh, the art. Art is our producer. Yeah. That reminds me of a whole series of really bad jokes. Uh, it's beautiful. Is that a segue? No. We're not, not done with you. disease in Whitey. <laughs> the Great White Plague. So we're coming up on this year, on November 25th, the 400th anniversary of the first Thanksgiving holiday. It says here that on November 25th in 1622, 1621, the Plymouth colonists and the Wampanoag Native Americans shared an autumn harvest feast that is not acknowledged today by historians as one of the first Thanksgiving celebrations. This is according to history.com. And um, for t- more than two centuries, it were celebrated by individual colonies and states, but it wasn't until 1863 that President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed Thanksgiving a national holiday. And it goes on to explain that a um, the first winter was brutal, right? And we all know this. Um, one of the things that happened was they were met by an Abenaki Native American who greeted them in English named Squanto. And he had been kidnapped by an English sea captain and sold into slavery before escaping to London, returning to his homeland to, to, and that's where he met up with the pilgrims. So it's weird, but that's the pilgrims met an indigenous person who spoke English, right? So not only did he speak English, they, they were welcomed with the English and then they taught him how to cultivate corn and extract sap from the maple trees, catch fish and avoid the poisonous plants he also helped them forge an alliance with the Wapanoag local tribe. And that alliance lasted 50 years, which it says here in history.com was one of the only examples of harmony between European colonists and Native Americans. Never mind that half of the Mayflower people died, and then lots and lots of the indigenous people who came in contact with them died of diseases after that. So, but the first. Feast, this thing that happened on November 25th, 1621, was three days long, according to this. And um, there's a journal entry, um, but it's not clear what they ate. The next year, however, it didn't rain. So there wasn't another uh, celebration until 1623. So that's the brief sort of historical perspective for me, of course, raised in middle America as a white boy. It's always been Turkey and football, right? And family. Yep. And parades. And and parades. And I kind of like two out of three on those. Turkey and parades. (laughs) You weren't a football player? I, I was a football fan then, but I've since fallen out of love with the NFL. NFL tastes good when it should. <laughs> what does Thanksgiving mean to you, Greg? <clears throat> Family, predominantly. And um, putting aside one's differences to gather together. 
and enjoy a feast. Mm-hmm. Now, in in the different different circles that I've been in over the years, you know, having been married and various girlfriends and things, one of the things I notice is that the the variations on Thanksgiving have kind of a range, but that some traditions are are more. Um, practiced in than others, right? Like everybody thinks about um, turkey and stuffing and, but some people it's like sweet potatoes as opposed to mashed potatoes, right? Or um, like pretty much everyone talks about pumpkin pie, right? Or apple pie, right? Um, Cherry pie. Right? Strawberry pecan rhubarb pie. pie. Pecan. Pie. Pie is a key element of Thanksgiving. Right? Well, that's interesting. Gluttony is often joked about as a predominant element of Thanksgiving. You just feast until you're overstuffed. And then you pass out in front of the TV. <laughs> well, feasting in general when harvest comes in is... You know, part of what helped us survive through the winter when, you know, before we had the kind of lifestyle we have now. Was it? I think storing goods through winter. Well, that too. But, the, you know, putting on just like a bear, putting on a winter coat of extra fat helps you have a little bit more to burn. So, um, but that, you know, clearly what modern Thanksgiving is since you know, the end of World War II. You know what Thanksgiving means to me? No, tell me. The day before Black Friday. Oof. <laughs> you know, I've never shopped on Black Friday. Thank God. Oh, man, I did it a couple of years. Actually, I got a killer laptop for really inexpensive and went out at like four in the morning. It was a lot of fun. There's a lot of um, that, you know, if you're an individual who likes the rambunctious energy of crowds and sort of upbeat energy, that's pretty much what a black. Although I think the last time I went out, it wasn't the same because everything's done online. So it didn't have that 4 a.m. deal energy anymore right like lining up for star wars or whatever it was right. it's yeah. not yeah it's not a social event now that it's become uh what is it online monday or digital monday or whatever. well there's digital monday but even the black friday deals they're all online so no well this year's going to be different because apparently if we wait till thanks till black friday there won't be anything to buy on um, thanks on um, Black Friday. Yeah, I'm giving my family jars of mayonnaise. <laughs> that you've already bought from Costco, right? There. Yeah, exactly. Are you going to like crack them open and put like special stuff in them? No, I'm just giving them a case that I paint green and red. <laughs> There's a case of mayonnaise. Why not stra- like strawberry jam? Like why mayonnaise? Pump up the jam. Pump it up. Your body thumping. Welcome to the musical segment of Moped Outlaws, the inevitable portion <laughs> of the show. I know. Have you? Had, do you think we will ever do an episode where music isn't a factor? Yes. All right. I'm waiting for that episode. Maybe this is it. Maybe that just like. Well, we've already blown that one because you just sang. <laughs> oh, <So. laughs> oh, the jams. Um, 
That's just because there's a TikTok where this girl holds up this jar of strawberry jam. She puts a bike pump in it. She starts pumping it, and the song hits right perfectly. Boom! Boom! <laughs> jam! No, I didn't do that. It just was just funny enough, you know, just funny enough. Yeah. All right, so is there more TikTok to that? takes thinking? a lot of sh- shit, but I love it. Like, it's my favorite social media right now. TikTok? Yeah. Fuck, yeah. They've got... They've got the, what is it called? Allogram. The algorithm. Algorithm. <laughs> they got the graham cracker program. It's so like, oh, I'll just check it out for a minute. An hour later. Yeah. It's phew, yeah. too easy. Too easy. Yeah. And hey, um, congratulations on surpassing 500 with uh, zero time. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and we should also just mention today was really significant for me because there's another podcast called Live with Greg, which also had a, um, a milestone, which is the original person who appeared on the first episode of that appeared in episode 71. And that was an extremely hard to watch. And also really, I, w- I didn't find it hard to watch. It was like a juxtaposition because I really miss uh, Chris Ferb. Um, and what he has to say. And there he was for, I watched it, right. I didn't just listen to it. And so um, it was a bit maudlin, (laughs) but you know, his life is, is full of challenge and and maudlin stuff. So um, it motivated me. Like you asked him all these questions about services and how, if he's getting help finding stuff. And I was like, I wanted to step into the breach there. And so, uh, Huzzah to you for that because it was very inspiring, and I hope lots of other people uh, are inspired by it and reach out to him. And has his? Do you know any? Has his situation changed as far as finding a place to live yet since you've recorded the podcast? He's uh, going to Sacramento to look at a rental property today. I think he in Charlene. And there's a gentleman that I contacted last week whose specialty is living situations for people with disabilities. And um, he's willing to talk with Chris. So there was actually a meeting scheduled this afternoon, but then this rental property popped up. So Chris postponed it. Awesome. There are things happening. Yeah. Um, I think one of the predominant challenges for Chris is, um, um, what do you call it? Despair. What is a depression? Depression, right, which I think was an element of his life before HD really kicked in. But HD has exasperated it, which is pretty normal for people. Yeah. Um, Even just from a normal perspective, pulling the biology out of it, of how the neural pathways are deteriorating and um the nervous system's deteriorating. I imagine if I had a disease that was uncurable and was just slowly ticking down to this chaotic mess of a death over an extended period of time, that's a thought that you wake up with every day with that. That's pretty hard to be happy. You know, like, yay, life. You can't mindset yourself out of that one, can you? Right. Right. Now, a footnote to that is one of our dear friends, Dr. Michelle Veneziano, Mm -hmm. 
she shared with me that one of her patients has HD. And when they first started, this woman, like her balance was way off. Walking was very difficult. After working with Michelle for a year, she's paddleboarding and doing things. And part of what I think was a piece to her ability to do that with the support of Michelle was her mindset. Yeah, I agree. You know, and everyone has a different level of their ability to invoke, you know, intellect and, you know, but yeah, I mean, we've all benefited so much from Chris Ferb in our life. Have, you know, do you believe in numerology at all? Well, I believe that people believe in it and, and therefore I believe in that. And I'm willing to consider the possibilities is, you know, something I'll you. look into. <laughs> um, today, I qualify my qualification on that one just for those. <laughs> Moped Outlaws today was episode 17 and live with Greg episode 71. 71. That means absolutely nothing. That just reminded me of Willy Wonka. You get nothing. Remember the very end? The first one, the real one. No, I don't remember. Oh, really? With Gene Wilder? Nope. Oh, man. We're at what the happens? End. Um, so I know what, what happens end, happens, but there's something you're thinking. Well, Charlie at the very end, he's the last child standing and, you know, um, so he and grandpa are there in Willy Wonka's office and grandpa's like, kind of like, well, what about all the stuff you promised? Like what's going on? And Willy Wonka just blows up like super angry. And look at this huge long contract. And he's all like, you get nothing. And fucking grandpa's like, what the fuck? And and because when they drank that stuff and went up, like floated up in the fan and um, they broke a clause in the contract. Ah. And then that's when Charlie... um, gives back the gobstopper that they thought was Snodgrass wanted to reverse engineer. And then Willy Wonka sees that and how you know, and, and then he just big old smile on his face and he turns, he's all, Charlie, I knew it was you. You did it. And Grandpa and Charlie are like, whoa, what the fuck? And it was like, he was playing angry. He wasn't really angry. Ah, it was a test to see what would happen under stress. It was a stress test. It was a stress test. Yeah. And Charlie made it through. Yeah. See, that's a great example. Like even when shit goes totally sideways, we have some ability to energetically influence the the proposition, the, the outcome. Yes. Yeah. All right. Let's tie back to Thanksgiving. Well, I'm super grateful that Chris was is in my life, <laughs> right? And the example he sets as a man, I mean, let's just start with his uncompromising vision for Iknak Fu. Like, he was instrumental in, like, kicking out one of the first singers who turned out to be a complete jerk. 
and was like, I don't want that shit in my band. Right. And then, and then continuing to go on to, to perform in, I don't know, proto punk, hard rock. I don't know how, where we would, but Ick Fu, man, great band. Great band. And as a result of Ick, Chris's interest in music, he takes that and he links it to his desire to make this film. And then he hosts this outdoor concert every year. And all his musical friends, most of whom aren't very successful in their, as bands, get to play these outdoor shows every year to try and help make this movie. And he just every year, like a little bit more, a little bit more, he gets it a little bit more edited. So there's this whole like 12 year period where here's this guy who is unstoppable in his vision and he completes this film Huntington's dance. He, we do all these amazing shows at Ferb on the green and these amazing spots to play music. Like when you look back, it's despite the way things are going right now and the inevitability of, of what will be a grim death for him. He, he's one of the most successful of all of us in terms of, you know, when you look at his achievements, like I have this film I want to make and I'm not like holding a fundraiser every year to get it done. Like the, the guy's a prime example of how to show up in the world. Um, and you know, I, I put it all at the feet of West Virginia. I think his, his, his middle American roots are, are mining kind of, town ethic. Yeah. Go into the mine regardless. Exactly. Yeah. Well, he had a lot of support, like day on the day on the Ferb, Ferb on the Green. The Healy's donated a ton of energy for that to happen. Yeah, and um, I believe Deborah, one of the producers of Huntington's Dance, poured a lot of energy into the success of that, along with a few other people. I agree. I'm not saying that Chris did it on his own by any means, but I think being the anchor, the, the energetic anchor that he didn't let go. Huntington's Dance is a brilliant documentary. It, it's uh yeah. Yeah. So in that sense, I'm grateful to be inspired by I mean, let's just be honest. There's this podcast that I watched this morning. That's Greg's other podcast, Live with Greg, Live with Greg, depending on semantics. <laughs> and in it, we have Chris Ferb, who is now absolutely symptomatic. And so what that means is he can't sit still. And there's all kinds of movements that are involuntary. and He has no control over. And he's still laughing at jokes. He's still like says the vulnerable thing like, uh, I think I just spaced out. Like when he said that, I almost <laughs> fell out of my chair. <laughs> so, you know, when, with that kind of example of being a human being, I'm grateful for the friendships that I have. That's what I, you know, Thanksgiving means to me as community. Yeah. And I was super honored and touched that he was willing to put himself out there publicly again in such a state like that be vulnerable so vulnerable yeah and even shared with me because i always let everyone as you well know because you've been into 
preview the episode before it goes live and they have the right to green light or say no. And he greenlit it pretty quickly and said he was kind of shocked to see how advanced his chloria, I think it's called, the involuntary muscle movement has become. He didn't realize it was so prevalent. His perception of it, man. Right. Yeah. I mean, you put him on the spot, dude. Like the whole course of the interview, it just, I'm like, oh, like he's not doing him any favors. Like mentally, like answer all these tough questions that'll really put you at center of your, of what's going on for you. Like, Oh, every time you asked another one, I was just like, Oh my God, like get this guy some extra Prozac at the end of the interview, please. (laughs) But you were following the thread, right? Like there was no malice. There was no, uh, you weren't trying to exploit it. There's this rich heart that shows up with you. And, you know, when you asked him the question about um, euthanasia, self, self um, euthanization, uh, that took a lot of courage for you to ask. It didn't, it didn't really. No. I'm, here's why. Here's why, Mark. I think anyone with any empathy and intelligence can see that the the wisest choice is to allow someone to say when they're done. And that's just in life in general. And as you and I know, one of our close friends brought that up as like, hey, I think this should be a personal choice. And then they got a bunch of chaos into their life. Um, Uh, A friend of mine passed away from uh, medically induced, you know, through the proper channels of California, he ended his life. And it was very peaceful. And I spoke with his wife after, and she spoke to how endearing, what what a wonderful moment his passing was and what a wonderful experience I don't, it's to me, there's no triggering at all. It's so, it's the ultimate in empathy. Like you're done. Okay. Go in peace. Yeah. And and sitting across from someone who hasn't, you know, who's the talk, the clock is ticking. Yeah. Who've, who's just talked to you about depression, severe physical disability, not having anywhere to live, his girlfriend having the, getting the short end of it. And then you ask him, have you ever thought about suicide? I'm like, fuck, dude. (laughs) It wasn't quite like that, but I see your point. (laughs) You know, the bridge is right across the way. We can go right now. (laughs) And. I'm getting chills. The man who answered the question showed up with such amazing heart. And, you know, there's a song that comes to mind called true courage that was written by Michael Healy in honor of Chris Ferb. And it's really true. The level of 
realization, both of Mike's art and his songwriting, he's another potent force in the world of creativity. But in that particular song, because Mike's not one to give too much emotion in the moment. Like he's, he's not a heart, you know, like touchy feely guy per se. He's not closed off. Right. But most of his, that part of him gets expressed in music and the, the song true courage is just an amazing, amazing honoring of Chris's vision and of what we all can aspire to, you know? And so, um, thieves of reason on YouTube is where you would go to look at that. If you haven't heard of Mike Healy's work, thieves of reason on YouTube, and he's super prolific and his songwriting is amazing. And yet again, another thing that I celebrate in terms of gratitude and Thanksgiving is my relationship with him. And the example he sets for dedication to craft, you know, I'm wearing a shirt that says truth. Like Mike is bodies, his, his persona, like there's no shaking the foundations of his approach and his insights to life. As far as I can tell. Yeah. You know, definitely you may disagree with him, but he's not going to, what you're hearing and what you're experiencing with him is his absolute truth of that moment. Yeah. And it makes it tough sometimes, but it also makes it trustworthy. Like, you know, where you stand moment to moment. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, the fact that those two were in Ignac Fu together, that's a great gift. Like, um, I don't know if there's a SoundCloud for Ignac Fu. I, I think there's some stuff. I know that in my digital archive, there's a stack of about four CDs that are like old rehearsal CDs or something, you know, and you know, I, God willing, I'll live long enough to get all of my digital archives online. But um, <clears throat> that's funny. I have one too, an outtake CD that I think I got from Ferb. And it's one of the things is the Healy's. It was at the time Nigel and Mike were both in Ikneku and they were late. And Dave and Ferb are just talking shit about the Healy's. And there's like, that's the track, like, fuck the Healy's. Or it's not that oppressive, but there's. The Healy's are late or something like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's like, you know, and I think there's like a song to it or something. It was, yeah, yeah. It was pretty funny. It yeah. Was good. Yeah. And that's the invitation for everybody, right? It's like we, we're here and we, we tend to think of ourselves in these narrow conventions of expression. But more and more we look around and we're like, wow, there's this whole breadth of possibility for us to be expressed. And so I'm grateful for that, too. Like, I celebrate that. Yeah, I had an experience yesterday that showed me... <clears throat> How if I am so wound up about something where there's no room for air and humor, like humor is breath. And I wasn't taking this conversation seriously that this person was espousing upon. And it it, it pissed them off to the point where I didn't say anything. They just talked themselves into like, well, I'm leaving. Like they put words into my mouth and this conversation ensued that I wasn't a part of. And it ended with them going, well, that's it. You know? And I was like, wow, that was, 
And I just thought, you know, if there's ever a belief I have that doesn't have the space for humor and brevity, then... Um, you mean levity. Uh, levity. Yeah, brevity too, probably. <laughs> <laughs> brevity is the better part of levity. <laughs> exactly. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, then, you know, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble with ever <clears throat> that I have in that moment. Yeah. I totally get that. I agree with you. Yeah. So what is, what does Thanksgiving mean to you? What are you, what are you thankful for? I already answered that question. Okay. Senator Mark, I've already answered that question. <laughs> um, I just have to say like, I'm loving your mic technique. Like I used to give you crap on this and you just, just exemplified the perfect mic technique there. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Um, you know, Thanksgiving really is a time to just gather together. Everyone as family, it, it, I, for me, it's even a time where I would, there, there are no enemies. Let's just lay that all aside for today. And maybe that'll continue to the next day and we could go shopping together. <laughs> You know what I noticed is there's no Thanksgiving Christmas. There's no Thanksgiving carols. There are when you're in kindergarten. There are? <laughs> yeah. Didn't you have Thanksgiving songs when you were in kindergarten? No. What? Either that or I don't remember them. Where were you in uh, kindergarten? Um, I was at Cheeseman Academy in Denver, Colorado. Okay. Private school. Uh, yeah, I guess. Come on, with a name like Academy, that was a pay-to-play school right there. I would have to guess. Like, I have no idea. Jeez, it was man. probably because both my parents were super busy. They were like, let's yeah. just tuck this boy away for six hours. Yeah. yeah what was, was your mom doing? Um, I think she was working as a legal secretary while my dad was in law school. All right. And one, one of the, there's two things I remember about Cheeseman Academy. One, they had lawns that went for blocks. Like there, there was this big open lawn with trees and then there'd be a little street and there'd be another lawn. Like, and it would just, it went forever. And of course I was five, four or five. So of course, if I went there now, I'd be like, ah, it's not so big. But to the memory, you know, the memory of the little Lilliputian, amazing like, hello, 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 hello. <laughs> right. And then the other thing is being told, no, you can't write left-handed. You must use your right hand. Wow. So it was a Catholic private school. <laughs> no, no, oh. they weren't Catholic, uh. but it was just a thing. Like it was that period okay. in education in 1967. That's yeah, crazy. I think it was 67. That's crazy. 68, maybe. Where, you know, you will learn to write with your right hand because life will just be better for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cheeseman Academy. My formative years. I got a bounce. Yes, you do. Recording stopped.